welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series 12 and episode 17, in which Jesus prepares his disciples for his death. We're studying in John's Gospel, as we have been in the last few episodes. We're in John chapter 16, verses 16 to 33, which we'll read in a few minutes. If you've been following series 12, you'll know that we've been in the middle of the last week of Jesus's life. And this second part of series 12 has been focused on the events in the upper room in Jerusalem where Jesus shared the Last Supper with his 12 disciples. It was a very eventful and intense meal in which many things happened. And we're coming towards the end of the meal and all the events and discussions that took place within it. But then again, if you've been following the wider narrative and you've been with us since series 11, you'll know that we're now on Thursday evening in the middle of the final week of Jesus's life, which is the climax of everything in his life and which is written about far more extensively by the gospel writers than any other period of Jesus's ministry because of the significance of everything that has happened. In a moment, we'll just go over the events of the Last Supper briefly just to put this particular passage in context. But before we do that, the wider context of those last few days runs approximately like this. If we take the events of series 11 and the beginning of series 12, we find that it starts with the Sunday at the beginning of the week where Jesus enters Jerusalem for the last time with a huge crowd following him. There have been massive expectations as he'd been approaching Jerusalem, which we looked at at the end of series 10. And series 11 finds Jesus coming into Jerusalem almost like a triumphal hero. Many people think he is the Messiah that is coming to make a fundamental change in the Jewish religion, maybe overturn the temple authorities or the political leaders, the Romans, and make big changes in the nation. In fact, Jesus is preparing for a final confrontation with the religious authorities, which has been a major theme of the Gospels and the key theme of this last narrative of, of the last week of his life. So the triumphal entry really was a demonstration of Jesus's claims to be the Jewish Messiah and made the authorities feel very nervous. They felt even more nervous on Monday when Jesus returned to the temple area and challenged them directly by overturning the tables of the people trading in the temple area, trading in money changing and buying and selling animals for sacrifices. And this was a very confrontational gesture by which Jesus was accusing the religious authorities of being financially corrupt. And then on Tuesday, he came back to the temple area again, a big compound with huge walking areas around the main building, plenty of room for lots of people. Crowds came to him and many different groups came and challenged him with difficult questions. Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, chief priests, lawyers, representatives of the authorities came and challenged him. So he left the temple area after managing to refute their questioning and spoke to his disciples as he left the city about forthcoming judgment on the nation of Israel and also about his second coming. We looked at that at the beginning of series 12 
looking at the material in Matthew chapters 24 and 25. But the story moved on very quickly from there. Because on the Wednesday, almost certainly in Bethany, the village where Jesus was probably staying, just a few kilometres outside the city, there was a meal at which Jesus was invited, at which he was anointed with oil by Mary of Bethany, who lived there with her sister Martha and whose brother Lazarus had been raised from the dead. But at this event was the critical moment that triggered the final crisis. This was the time when Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus's 12 disciples, made the final irrevocable decision that he was going to switch sides. He was going to move from Jesus's team over to supporting the religious authorities and he was going to betray Jesus. He went to see the authorities, promised them that he'd lead them to Jesus in a quiet place where they could arrest him out of view of the crowds and they promised him money in return. So from that moment onwards, on the Wednesday of that week, the certainty of Jesus being arrested was now clear. Then, of course, comes the Last Supper, and that's our focus for this talk and the second part of series 12. But quite a lot of things have happened already, which we'll just quickly remind ourselves of before we get to the very crucial teaching that Jesus gives here. We've already found out about how the Last Supper came about in the upper room and how Peter and John prepared for the meal and how Jesus was the host of the meal. Then we've discovered in episode 10 how Jesus suddenly washed the disciples' feet, the actions of a servant, just to indicate the nature of his leadership. And then we see him establishing in episode 11 the Lord's Supper, or communion, or the Eucharist. This is the commemoration of Jesus' death using bread and wine that has become part of church life. Then we see Jesus teaching in episode 12 about servant leadership and in that episode also Judas finally left having been part of the meal for the first half of the meal he suddenly departed and this is the moment that he's going to the authorities and telling them the exact whereabouts of Jesus and where Jesus is likely to go as soon as he leaves the upper room and of course Judas will come back into the story very soon when he will be with a group of soldiers and militia and a crowd of people from the religious authorities who've come to arrest Jesus. Then we moved into John's Gospel and I pointed out in episode 13 that John adds a lot of extra material here, material from his own recollection. He was almost certainly the disciple described in John 13 as the disciple whom Jesus loved, who was next to Jesus at the table of the Last Supper. And he decides, John, to tell us the rather more intimate things that Jesus said to the remaining 11 disciples during that critical time in the second half of the Last Supper, where Jesus was preparing and equipping his disciples for the sudden, dramatic and traumatic events that were about to take place within a few hours of that particular moment. In episode 13, Jesus comforts his disciples, saying he's going to the Father, but preparing a place for them to come in heaven. 
In episode 14 and in episode 16, we have two parts of Jesus teaching about the coming of the Holy Spirit and all the things the Holy Spirit's going to do in the lives of the disciples. So that's very exciting and encouraging teaching. In episode 15, Jesus uses the metaphor of the vine and the branches to explain how God the Father will shape the lives of the disciples, sometimes through difficult circumstances or even opposition, but it's going to make them very fruitful and effective in God's kingdom. Now, all the way through this narrative, there have been constant indirect references to Jesus's death. But now at this particular point, Jesus is going to be much more specific and talk about his death and resurrection in very direct terms. Jesus was a great teacher and he knows that when you're teaching people, you have to repeat things. You have to give them as much truth or information that they're capable of dealing with. You have to give people time to absorb information, especially difficult things. And one of the things that he was aware of was that the concept of him dying and then rising again from the dead was so difficult for his disciples to comprehend that he needed to spend a lot of time preparing them for this reality. And he had, in fact, been doing it for some time. It was at the time when he left Galilee after the time spent on the Mount of Transfiguration, it's at that time that he began to warn his disciples that he would go to Jerusalem, he'd suffer, he'd die, he'd be raised again from the dead, he'd die at the hands of the authorities. Now, at that particular time, the disciples just were completely confused by that. They didn't believe it, they didn't understand it, they didn't really know what he was talking about, it just didn't make sense to them at all. So Jesus knew he had quite a difficult task ahead of him. You see, their anticipation was that Jesus's kingdom, which he'd brought in, would grow and grow and grow and just become more and more powerful and influential. And one day he'd go to Jerusalem and just literally take over the whole nation, get rid of the Romans, get rid of the corrupt authorities in the temple, purify the religion, bring in the gospel and the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit to the whole nation and then to the Gentile nations beyond. That was their rather simplistic view of what might happen. And they also thought they'd get uh, positions of authority in such a kingdom. So the idea that this wonderful movement that they'd been part of for three years was going to come to a, a sudden, terrible, critical crisis through Jesus dying was incredibly difficult for them to understand. Bear in mind that here we are on Thursday, of the last week of Jesus' life. It's only four days ago on the Sunday that he entered Jerusalem with an enormous crowd supporting him and encouraging him and welcoming him as the Messiah. So they've got all these contrary things going on in their thoughts and in their emotions. And it's now at this particular point in Jesus' teaching right towards the end of the Last Supper, that he is more explicit and clear with them about his death and resurrection. Let's read this passage in sections and just reflect on it as we go through. John 16, verses 16 to 18. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you'll see me no more, then after a little while you'll see me. 
At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me, and because I'm going to the Father? They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Well, Jesus is being a little bit enigmatic here. He's describing three realities. You'll see me no more. That's a reference to his death. After a little while, you'll see me. That's his resurrection. Then I'm going to the Father. That's his ascension. Now, we, looking at the text from the point of view of knowing the end of the story, think that's fairly obvious. But the disciples were confused, asking questions. They couldn't quite work out what he meant. Let's read on. Verses 19 to 22. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you'll see me no more than after a little while you'll see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn when the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child, has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Well, Jesus, again, is teaching by a metaphor. He's teaching by an analogy. He's teaching prophetically. He's describing his death and resurrection and their emotional response to it in a similar way to childbirth from the point of view of the mother of the child coming into this world. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Well, in human experiences, this is one of the greatest mysteries of our lives. The incredible mixture of suffering and joy that a woman experiences giving birth to a child. The suffering is intense. The pain can go on for many hours and the joy is overwhelming, probably the like of which there is no other joy. It's a very intense human experience. And one that men look on and see, as I've done at the birth of my children, in wonder. You feel something similar, but you don't have the same fundamental experience. Certainly not the suffering. But Jesus is using a metaphor, a way of thinking that's very vivid. He's basically saying, you're suffering now because you're entering into the time that's leading up to my death. But you will rejoice. You'll get through the other side because this death is not the end. The suffering of the woman in labor is not the end. It isn't an end in itself. It's something that will lead to something totally different. The pain subsides, the baby arrives and joy is overwhelming let's keep reading verses 23 
to 27. In that day, you'll no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the father on your behalf. No, the father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. In his human life, the disciples could ask Jesus for things directly. They could ask for miracles. They could ask him questions about information. They could ask him about provision for their lives. They could ask him for help with their families. And Jesus is pointing out that they're going to have the ability to ask the Father as vividly and directly for their needs as they asked Jesus in the human life that they shared together. In the name of Jesus, they can approach the Father. They can ask the Father to do miracles. Ask and you'll receive and your joy will be complete. So again, this is another transition that he's trying to help them understand. They interpreted their discipleship as following Jesus in a human relationship where they were together and they lived in a community together for about three years on the road. Everything was based on direct human contact, direct discussion, shared experiences, listening to what Jesus had to say. And he needed to prepare them for the fact that when he wasn't there, they could pray to the Father with that same intimacy and openness and faith and expectancy that they had with him. So he's really encouraging them that they're going to be very well resourced when he's not there. He's already spent considerable time explaining to them the Holy Spirit will come, the advocate, the spirit of truth. He's coming. When I leave, he will come to you. He will reveal everything to you that you need to know. He'll guide you. And now he's saying through that spirit's presence and in the name of Jesus, you can come to the father. You can ask him things. He's going to provide for you. If you want to extend the kingdom of God, you can pray and those prayers are going to be answered in one form or another. Verses 28 to 30. Jesus said, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Well, finally, at the very end of this conversation, after using some indirect language, figures of speech, metaphors, 
Jesus is speaking plainly. He's told them clearly he's dying. He's going to die. He's going to rise again from the dead. But after having risen from the dead, he's not going to be staying with them for a prolonged period of time. He is returning to his father. And they are a little bit more settled now. They've got it clear in their minds what Jesus is talking about. This has been a very important conversation between Jesus and his disciples in the upper room, recorded at length by John. So much needed to be discussed. So much reassurance needed to be given to the disciples. Guidance needed to be given to them concerning the events that were just about to unfold. It was very, very hard to prepare them for the trauma of the arrest of Jesus, which is going to take place just in a few hours. They're going to be witnesses to something terribly, terribly traumatic. And then there'll be something even more traumatic, of course, when he's crucified and publicly executed the following day in public view, just outside the gates and walls of the city of Jerusalem, where he'd been received with such rapturous acclamations by the crowds just a few days earlier. I mean, it's a tremendously difficult thing for them to come to terms with. But Jesus doesn't want them to be scattered. He doesn't want them to fall away. He doesn't want them to lose heart. He wants to implant into their memories things that he said here that they'll remember and which will be able to consolidate their faith. They will be able to remember on Good Friday and on Easter Saturday when Jesus' body's in the tomb. They'll be able to remember the things that he said. That yes, he is going to die, but he's going to rise again and he's going to go to the Father. It's not the end of the story. And the final verses. Verses 31 to 33. Do you now believe? Jesus replied, a time is coming. In fact, has come when you'll be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I've told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Here Jesus predicts the scattering of the disciples. It's only a few hours before this actually happens, because when Jesus is arrested in Gethsemane, as we shall see shortly, the disciples scatter. They're afraid. They disappear. One or two of them go up to the high priest's house to try and see what's going on when Jesus is being tried. The rest of them disappear to their places where they're staying nearby. They're scattered for a short period of time. And Jesus knows they're going to be scattered. But he wants them to have peace, as he says in that final verse. He wants them to have peace. Even though there's trouble, he wants them to have peace. So that once they've reorientated themselves emotionally, they can re-engage with the story. And that will begin to happen on Easter Sunday, 
when Jesus appears to them. They gather again in the upper room. So although they're scattered in the middle of the night between Thursday and Friday, they will have been gathered again by Sunday evening and Jesus will appear to them. This is an incredible story that is shortly going to unfold, which we're going to follow with some eagerness as we continue into series 13 and series 14. But let's just pause there for a moment and conclude this episode by just thinking through some of the things that we are learning. I think the first thing to say is this is a remarkable bit of teaching and discourse that John records for us that Jesus gave to his disciples in John chapters 14, 15 and 16. How gracious of Jesus to prepare his disciples and teach them so many things that they needed to know at a time of great personal distress and need. He had that great sense of the imminence of his own suffering. And I wonder whether you've had any experience where you know you're going to suffer in some particular way through some life circumstance. And that feeling beforehand is very, very difficult to deal with. And Jesus had it on a massive scale because of the extent of his suffering. However, because of his love for his disciples, he showed tremendous love for them during the Last Supper. The love that even washed their feet at the beginning of the meal. The love that attended to their emotional vulnerabilities by teaching them and reassuring them all the way through the meal. There's a significant point here about prayer. Jesus is encouraging them. You can talk to the Father through the Holy Spirit in the same way you speak to me face to face in the human contact. That's a wonderful privilege of all Christians that comes also to you and me. This passage speaks to us also about that paradox of joy and sorrow that is always present in the Christian life. It really is a truth that that the Christian life is a combination of joy and sorrow. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. The difficulties can come from financial pressures, poverty, sudden challenges, sickness, health and health issues, from direct opposition, from mental difficulties, from all sorts of problems, relational difficulties. Joy and sorrow exists for us, but we're ultimately heading to be victorious over all the sorrows of this life. And my final comment would be this, just to comment on this lovely statement, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome three fundamental realities, three fundamental negative realities. Firstly, in dying on the cross, he overcomes the power of Satan to control humanity and keep them in bondage to sin. John 12, verse 31, speaking prophetically of his death, Jesus says, Now the prince of this world will be driven out. The prince of this world being a title for Satan. And then concerning 
death itself. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us concerning the resurrection. Verse 54 of 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus has overcome Satan. He's overcome death through his resurrection. And he's also overcome the power of sin. 1 John 2 verses 1 to 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus prophetically claims here what he's going to achieve through his death and resurrection. I have overcome the world. I hope you'll join us again for the next episode. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.